We're starting in Joshua 1. I just want to read the first nine verses of the book of Joshua to open. And uh, then we'll get into our study of uh, Joshua the man and his preparation and and release into leadership. Uh, So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, I pray that you would open up the word to us tonight, that in, the, in looking at the life of this man, Joshua, uh, your servant, uh, the leader of your people, uh, Lord, that we would be uh, instructed by the Holy Spirit in the way that we should go, that you would make this word alive to us, uh, speak to us as individuals, speak to us as a body uh, through, through what it has to say. Uh, may our hearts and ears be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, two things by way of introduction. Um, you probably have noticed that we, we're spending an extra amount of time in Joshua, uh, more than the other books. And the reason for that is the way we're going through the Old Testament um, this year, this time around, or not this year, this, these five years, um, we wanted to give time uh, to, to a number of things. One is just three or four open months during the year to kind of do whatever we need to do. Um, mixing in some New Testament books as we go, which, which we've done. Uh, but then the third, the third emphasis would be spending time on really books that have been significant to us that we always wish we could spend more time on whenever we're going through the Bible. And so Joshua is one of those books. That's why we have extra time uh, in Joshua. We've, we've been, I don't know, it was a six or seven weeks allotted for Joshua. Um, so I just want to tell you that it's, this has been a very important book to us as a, as a community of churches, the CF churches. Um, I think I mentioned that before. But I, I want to underscore it. This is why we're spending so much time. And, and I wanted to give you one encouragement uh, along with that. And that is to uh, listen to the other, as many of the other churches' sermons on Joshua as you can. There's just a lot of great teaching going on, going on in this book. And even with our extended time, it's not enough to really soak in the book 
the way that it deserves. And, and uh, so my heart for us in this time in Joshua and even going on into, into Judges, is that we would really understand and, and be captured with the principles that have shaped us as a community uh, in this book. And you'll, you'll really catch that if you listen to, obviously, these teachings, but also the teachings from LCF, uh, particularly some of the ones that Billy has done. Um, so you don't have to, I'm, I'm not saying that as like a this week, go and listen to all the backlog of <laughs> Joshua teachings. I'm just saying this is a good place to, if you want to do extra study, extra listening, this is a great place to, uh, to go and listen to some other teachings uh, in, this, uh, in our time in Joshua. Um, the other point of introduction is, is that I thought it would be good to look at Joshua's backstory tonight because uh, the way the story unfolds, it really, when you read the Pentateuch, particularly starting in Exodus, Exodus it's the story of Israel, but it's also the story of Moses, right? They're called the five books of Moses. And so him as a character, he's the, you know, he's the prominent character, human character, you could say. God is obviously the, the main character, uh, Yahweh. But Moses is really the primary character, and you, you end up watching him develop through the course of the story. But Joshua has been there developing all along. And he's in little spots, right? All the way back in Exodus 17 is when Joshua first comes on the scene. And it's been his story too, right, in a different way. And I think that's significant, the, the way that, that the Pentateuch really seeds the story of Joshua uh, is, is very interesting to watch. It's not, you know, it's a little, it's kind of sparse, right? If you looked up all the references, it didn't take you that long uh, to, to anywhere Joshua is mentioned. But it's worth going back to study in case you weren't studying it and, and paying attention as it was developing, right? Joshua's uh, presence in the story. Right? It's been Moses and Israel and a few others, maybe Aaron. But Joshua has been there all along. Um, and that's really one of the big points that I want to make tonight, is that his preparation for leadership was many, many, many years in the making. Right? Um, that when God speaks the words that we just read to Joshua, nothing that he said to Joshua was something that Joshua hadn't already been prepared to do and had shown capability in already, faithfully, and, and in a trustworthy way. Does that make sense? So it's important to note that. When God commissions Joshua at the opening of the book, nothing of that was a surprise to Joshua. or shouldn't have been. Okay? And nothing, nothing was uncharacteristic of Joshua. Okay? Uh, so... Let's, let's dive in. I just want to walk through uh, a few of the sections where he's mentioned in the Pentateuch and then offer some, uh, some thoughts at the end. Exodus 17. This is uh, directly after they come through the Red Sea. Uh, the chapter actually opens with uh, three days after they grumble, right? And, and we, we start to get uh, a feel for how the story is going to go from here on out with the Israelites in, in, in relation to God. Uh, it's not three days until they uh, start to think that God isn't on their side. And um, so there's that. And, and God, you know, there's Masa and Meribah. But then there's this really interesting section, starting in verse 8, where the Amalekites come and fight with Israel. Okay? Then this is really early, and, and it's not typical 
of the early stages of Israel's journey uh, in, in the Exodus, uh, God, and in fact, it says in one place, he, he took them in certain routes so they would avoid war, right? They weren't ready for it yet. They were new as a people that needed to learn things about how to be the people of God. But here we have an, a battle right off. This is the first battle of this brand new baby nation, Israel. And this is the first place that Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. Okay, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, and it's just assumed he's there. He's already there. And he's already someone that Moses can call to lead men into battle. That's the first thing that we know about Joshua. Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, if you want extra credit, you can do a study of the Amalekites. It's very fruitful. Okay, the Amalekites are really become symbolic of sin itself. And everything you hear God speak about the Amalekites, you could just as well plug in the word sin. Okay? And the way the Amalekites attack the people, the way that they, that they pester the people, and God's attitude toward them, uh, you could just as well say that sin does all those things. But here's the first time that we get the, the Amalekites. Um, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He's already a trustworthy guy. All right. He fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And then whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. It's a great picture of, of prayer and dependence on God, right? It, when you don't have a hand to God, then the battle is not going to go well, okay? But here we see Joshua responding to Moses' call to go lead the people of Israel into battle. Um. And it says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. This is about victory over sin. Okay? Joshua was a young man in the first John sense of, of that word. So go to go to first John. First John chapter one. Chapter 2, sorry. Starting at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Joshua's a young man, okay, in, in, in this exact sense of the word. What are the two things we know about him? He overcomes the enemy, Israel's enemy, Israel's archetypal enemy, Amalek, right? Sin itself overcomes the evil one with the sword, the word of God, Okay. So the two things that mark a young man's life who's growing in maturity is that he has learned how to, by the word of God, overcome the evil one. Right? This is Joshua. This is, uh, this is why Moses chooses him early on. All right, He's overcome the evil one uh, with the word of God. 
Uh, And there it says at the end of the passage uh, in verse 16, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And that's proven true, both for actual Amalek and for the power of sin that they represent. The Lord has had war with sin in every generation. And we have continued that war. So he overcomes uh, by, with the sword as Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. All right, so we, we see him there, right there, early on, leading the people. Okay, And this is a long time. I mean, so the 40 years in the wilderness hasn't happened yet. Right? The failure to go into the land, the, the failure of the spies hasn't happened yet. Joshua is already a trustworthy man. The next time we see him is in Exodus 24. And all it says here is that in verse 13, that Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua. <laughs> all we hear is that he was with Moses. We don't hear anything about him. We don't really hear anything about what he was doing. Just that he was with Moses. Okay. Chapter 32 is the next place we see him. And Moses is coming back down out of the mountain. And Joshua, it says he in verse 17, Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. All right. So, again, he's just he's with Moses. He is conferring with Moses about uh, the people's uh, idolatry and what, what has gone on in, in this uh, during the golden calf. Uh, chapter 33, verse 11. <clears throat> so this is when Moses, he says he used to take and pitch a tent outside the camp. Okay. Apparently there were problems. The, the, the tabernacle was not what it needed to be uh, quite yet. Uh, but he would go outside of the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. He's about what Moses is about. Okay, The only thing that we see him, so he led the people victoriously in battle. But then in this next phase of his life, All he did was assist Moses, be about what Moses was about, okay? He was waiting, watching, going with. He was listening, exchanging thoughts with Moses. He was a servant. He was a true, it says he was an assistant. He's a true servant, okay? He was just serving Moses, serving the man of God. And also we see that he was lingering in the presence of God. That when Moses went out of the tent, Joshua would stay and linger in the presence of God.
So in that first, the early portrait of Joshua, he's a victorious young man overcoming the enemy with the sword. In this middle period, which runs from Exodus 24, and then I want to look at Numbers 11.28. This is still in the relatively the same time period, uh, pretty close together. The long chunk of time hasn't really happened yet. But he's, he's with Moses, and this is sort of the, the, the culminating verse in that, <laughs> in that phase of his life. Uh, Numbers eleven twenty eight. Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. And this is uh, two guys had the spirit had come on them and they were prophesying. And uh, Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Um, It's familiar. I mean, it sounds an awful lot like something Jesus would have said to his disciples, right? After they said something a little bit tone deaf to him or a little bit foolish to him. Uh, But what do we see here? We see a young man who's very capable. We've seen. He has submitted himself to the extent that his main concern in life is Moses' integrity, Moses' reputation. Right. This is this is the man that I'm following. And he has he has totally submitted his life to serving Moses to the point where it says he's Moses said, you're jealous for me. He's jealous for Moses. Okay, And this is a sign of true, a true submission of true servanthood. When when you care about that person's reputation, when you defend someone else's reputation. Right. When when it hurts you to see that person uh, misunderstood or, or, or whatever. But Joshua wasn't understanding the situation and Moses corrects him. But we see Joshua's zeal for Moses. Um, and this reminds me of, in Hebrews, the way it talks about the way that people are to obey and submit to their leaders. That word uh, is submit. It's a tricky word. Actually, I think it's the one that's translated obey. It means to let yourself become convinced of something. To allow yourself. It doesn't just mean to grit your teeth and do it. It means to actually be won over to what that person says. Okay? Obedience is not begrudging. Okay? And so I really think that Joshua got to that place with Moses, where he had allowed himself to be captured with the way Moses did life. Yeah, flip over to Hebrews real quick, because I think this is awesome. And in all of this, you know, in, as in every, um, as in, in every picture of discipleship, we're, we're talking about us and Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word to you. This is Hebrews thirteen seven. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is what Joshua did with Moses. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You have to think that, that Moses, that, that Joshua didn't cause Moses a lot of groaning. 
right? He was a man, it says he was an assistant of Moses from his youth. I don't know how he got selected, right? We don't really know. But for some reason, Moses had called this man to assist him, and he was faithful in that. And he really did obey and submit to Moses' leadership, though he was capable, and that, we've seen that. He, he proved that he was capable. Um, and then in Numbers 13, he's chosen as one of the scouts uh, to go spy out the land. And here we learn something very interesting, that at some point uh, Moses had renamed Joshua. His name was Hoshea, which means salvation. Moses renames him the Lord is salvation. Right? You think Moses was, was teaching him something there? This is the thing that, that God is trying to tell his people over and over and over. I am salvation. You can't save yourself. Right? The first time we see Joshua, there is no deliverance unless the hands are up to the throne. Okay? And maybe it was after the battle. Maybe it was after that battle that he said, Hoshea. Joshua, salvation, you are now, the Lord is salvation. We can never forget the source of our deliverance. We can never think, you who have the destiny of of a warrior on you, you who are going to lead this people into battle, into the promised land, we can never, ever, ever, and Moses makes this perfectly clear in his speeches in Deuteronomy, we can never think, that our hand has caused this. Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. Uh, another way of translating it is, him whose salvation is Yahweh. Am I salvation? Or is my salvation Yahweh? So he's selected as a scout. He's, he's already proven at this point. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention that... Uh, there's a couple things that, that, remind, that this reminds me of. Uh, one in the Old Testament is where David says, I want to go fight Goliath. Right? And Saul says, no, you can't fight Goliath. How do, you, do you even know? Have you ever been in battle? And he says, well, I fought a bear and I fought a lion and I whooped him. <laughs> so it, he wasn't thrust in completely uh, un, unexper- inexperienced. Right? Joshua had... Uh, he had previous experience. He had overcome the Amalekites. That's why when he comes back, he's not afraid of the people, though they're giants and they're, oh, they're big. and they're, they're, I don't know if we can take them. Joshua says, we can take them. We weren't sure if we could take the Amalekites, but we took them. Why? Because Yahweh is salvation. Right? Um, it also reminds me of Timothy. When Paul first meets Timothy, Another great biblical picture of a, of a discipleship relationship. Um, someone who really did serve, as Paul says, serve as, as a true son in the faith. Okay? I'm, I'm certain Moses would have bestowed that title on Joshua uh, if he was using Paul's terms. The true, my true son in the faith. When Paul first meets Timothy, um, over in Acts 17, I believe... Sixteen. 
Uh, it's just a small point that Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers. Right? He already had a proven reputation. And so perhaps this was the case with Joshua. Hey, this kid, and he loves, uh, he loves the Lord. He studies Torah. He, he eats it up. He can recite all the prayers, right? And Moses says, come on, kid. I got some, I got some work for you to do. Come follow me around. All right, and then finally, on the other side of the 40 years of wandering, Well, so we see very clearly in Numbers 14 that, uh, that God says, well, Joshua and Caleb, they're the only ones who get it. They're the only ones who are going to be allowed to go, actually go into the promised land um, because they believed and they were faithful. Um, at the end of Numbers 20, uh, 27... God reveals to Moses that he will not be entering into the promised land. And Moses' response is this, verse 16. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on them. Okay? Lay your hand on him. And then we have several passages um, in Deuteronomy that mention Joshua. That had to do with his commissioning. Okay? And I just want to read um, one of them. Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Uh, Starting verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Okay. And this... uh, this now speaks to not just the, uh, the uh, faith and the zeal of Joshua, not just his preparation as a servant and disciple of Moses, but as his, uh, his spiritual power. Okay? So here at the end, though his preparation has been many years in the making, though he has really been faithful and he's proven himself trustworthy at every point, Still, Moses needs to lay his hands on him and impart the Spirit to him. Okay? And uh, all the... So I I think the point here is that all the godly preparation in the world still needs to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Right? And it reminds me of the tabernacle in in Exodus. They got out... It was... Got the craftsmen and they built it all according to the plan. It was beautiful and it was what it should be. And then the last step was the priest need to go and anoint everything with the oil. And then the presence of God came. So it can be the most beautiful uh, 
God-commissioned thing, building, person, whatever. But unless there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it, it's still incomplete. But here, Joshua, at the, at the, at the point of, of succession, there's a, it, it highlights the transfer of the Spirit by the laying on of Moses' hands. Um, so, Joshua, I think there's two, there's two words here in the kind of rhyme, which makes it catchy. I didn't plan on that. But Joshua's story is about preparation and consecration. Those are the two things that we can learn from Joshua's life. Um, we are not all Joshua, obviously. None of us are Joshua. Okay? None of us are a unique individual in the history of the story of God's people who are doing something that nobody else has ever done before in the, in the, in the story of God and, and whose legacy will live on through all, uh, all generations and make it into the, the Torah itself. But Scripture does tell us that we all have a calling. Right? We have a commissioning. We have a place in the body. We have an inheritance. We have a role to fulfill and to be excellent in, uh, both in the common call of all believers, right? Everything that we're all supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be loving one another. We're all supposed to be serving one another. We're all supposed to be... Uh, sharing the gospel with the lost. But also in the unique part that you play. Paul is very clear that every single member has a unique part to play in the body and that they can't, they may not say, well, you don't don't need me, my unique part. The eye cannot say to the hand, you have no need of me. Or because I'm not an eye, I'm not useful. Okay. So we do all have a unique role to play. And so it's not the same as Joshua's role, but we all require preparation and consecration for the thing that God has called us to do. Amen? So preparation, what is it about? What do we see from Joshua's life? Preparation is not very complicated, but that's the the thing. (laughs) It's consistency in all the small things. We hear very little about Joshua. But every time we, we pop in on him, it's like, yep, he's still, he's still there. Right? He's never in the forefront, but he's always there doing his thing. He's always with Moses. Nothing about the building of a godly leader happens quickly. Okay? That's one thing we can see in Joshua's story. Nothing about the building of a godly leader or any godly person who's to have any influence in the people of God which is all of us. But nothing about the true building and preparation of a godly leader happens quickly. Many years passed where Joshua was about the same things, day in and day out. Um, and it's those very things repeated over and over that make him ready to lead. Okay, this is what preparation is all about. This is why if you go through Foundations 2 uh, and learn how to pray, read your Bible, worship, uh, Dan Shuffler will talk about how crucial just consistency is, right? Um, not making huge things. He says, think in terms of thousands of repetitions. I think that is very wise, and it's very biblically sound. Don't think in terms of 
cramming, right? Or procrastinating. But if I'm going to be skilled in the word, if I'm going to be skilled in prayer, I have to get in thousands of reps, just like anything else in life, right? If you're going to be a great basketball player, you have to shoot thousands of shots. You don't have to shoot 500 shots a few times. You've got to shoot 20 shots thousands of times. Right? It's not about these chunks and, and fits and starts. It's about slow consistency, absolute diligence. Okay? This is what Joshua's life uh, seems to illuminate for us. So what, what, things, what things prepare us? Victory over sin. Victory over sin. Consistent victory over sin. Prepares you for the work that God has called you to do. By the sword of the Spirit. right? Victory over sin by the power of the word. That prepares us to be the people that God wants us to be. True submission to direction into vision outside of yourself. Just coming under someone or something outside of yourself. <laughs> and this can take many forms, right? Life affords us many opportunities to submit, right? Some are very clearly spelled out in Scripture. Others we find just, you know, the class I'm in. I need to learn how to submit to this teacher. I need to learn how to submit to this boss. I need to learn how to submit... And it does something to you. It prepares you to lead. True submission to direction outside of yourself. Consistent and fruitful partnership with a more mature believer. Consistent and fruitful partnership with a more mature believer. And I use that word partnership because I don't think Moses was a, Joshua was Moses' water boy. But I think they conferred, right? Joshua maybe didn't make the decisions. Moses was the executive, if you want to use, put business terms. But you know that he and Joshua talked about stuff. And that Joshua spent long hours being about the things that Moses was about. Right? They had a consistent and a fruitful partnership. This prepares us to be released. This prepares us to be commissioned. And uh, another thing in preparation is trustworthiness in carrying the vision and having faith when called upon to act. Having faith when called upon to act. Moses said, Joshua, go with the spies. And he came back and he was, yeah, let's do it. And there were probably many, many other situations where Moses asked Joshua to go do something and he did it in the manner in which Moses himself would have. In the manner in which God would have the people of God to act. Okay? So trustworthiness in carrying the vision and having faith when called upon to act. Um, so those are some things in Joshua's life that show us what preparation is like. And I really think this small but consistent is, is huge. Okay? Small but consistent. Um, I, I often give the advice... Um, particularly in the situation where um, like you, start to, you start to have kids and maybe your parents don't really understand uh, your vision for raising children, right? And it's, it's easy, especially right when that starts to 
those questions start to be raised and there's clear difference of values and clear questioning, I often give the advice like, well, don't worry about what happens now. It might be really uncomfortable. Think in terms of 10 years from now. Live now the way that you know that in 10 years, your parents are going to go, man, your kids are awesome. Right? And you'll, you'll, you'll win them over. And we've seen, we see that happen all the time. Right? There's some difference in values, some difference in, in uh, belief, um, especially if some parents are outside the church or in a very, from a very different uh, worldview. And in about 10 years, you, know, you have the best-behaved kids in the, in the whole extended family. And they're like, wow, you got lucky. No, <laughs> we were intentional. Um, how did you have kids like that? Because you think in terms of decades. You don't try and fix this problem right now and try and get everyone to approve everything you're doing. You think in terms of decades. But I think this is, this is a principle for all of life. Think in terms of decades. Okay? Don't think in terms of months or weeks. Because when you think in terms of decades, you begin to think of... Uh, and maybe I'm thinking in terms of decades because we've just rolled over into a new decade. Think about the past 10 years of your life. And think about everything that has happened. What did you do consistently? For good or ill. I mean, there could be a lot of bad things that you did consistently. There are for me. I consistently had a goal of being 185 pounds. That's my consistent goal all the way through the decade. Or whatever. What did you do consistently? That made you who you are today. You are the way you are because of what you did, what you have done consistently for the past ten years. So think about it. What, what's good about me? Right? What strengths do I have right now? What weaknesses do I have right now? Those weaknesses are because of something you've been doing for the past ten years. That make sense. And now think about this. If I do exactly what I'm doing now, just all of the, all the life patterns, all of the habits, whatever, if I do exactly what I'm doing now for the next 10 years, what kind of person will I be in 10 years? Is that the kind of person that God wants you to be? So then the, the last question is this. In order to become the person I know God is calling me to be, what can I start doing now Small things, small consistent things. What can I start doing now in order to look back in 10 years and see clear progress? Okay, we think in terms of decades. And that, 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 this also helps because if you, if you miss a day, if you miss a week, if you're a little off, maybe if you fail. That's where Satan likes to keep you. Right? You are a failure. You say, no, 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 no. We're thinking in terms of decades. Right? I'd rather miss five times this decade than one time and give it all up. Make sense? We think longer term. We have to think longer term. Satan wants to keep us in the very narrow bandwidth of right now, what's immediately affecting me right now. But we have to build for these long chunks of time because that's what really shapes us. That's what shapes you. Right? You can... Do something and fall on your face. You can try and have goals, but what really shapes you is what you consistently do day in and day out. Right? That's, that's just how, we're, that's, that's how we are shaped. 
Does this make sense? All right. So, preparation. Preparation. Joshua undergoes preparation. And a lot of it was probably just boring. Right? Don't, don't hear much. A lot of time goes by. Right? But he finally gets to the place where he is chosen to be the leader of the people of God and released into that role. Second thing, consecration. <clears throat> consecration. So, all of what I just said about preparation, about building good habits, about thinking in terms of decades, none of it gets us where we need to be. None of us, none of it achieves what God wants us to achieve. The only thing that achieves what God wants us to achieve is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Like I said, the tabernacle got to the place where it was beautifully constructed. Everything was going according to the plan. It was according to the pattern. And the, the craftsmen had woven everything and crafted everything and hewn all the, the logs and, and put it all up. And it's just an empty building. Until they anoint it with the oil and consecrate it and then the Spirit of God comes and dwells in the temple, in the tabernacle. Same thing with us. There is a plan. There is a pattern. God wants us to give ourselves to the little things, shoot thousands of free throws, all those things that we talk about, all those analogies that we use, day in and day out, think in terms of decades, so that he can pour out the Holy Spirit and come and dwell in that life. Right? So preparation is not... Preparation is just, is just that. It's preparation. Okay? It's not the thing itself. It's readying for the very presence of God to come. And that's what the consecration is. Okay? So our life is one of preparation, which is disciplines. It's discipleship. It's, it's menial things. It's servanthood. It's submission. It's all those things that, that, that make for a good, well-prepared person. But it's, all, it's nothing. It's dead unless the consecration comes. All right? So one way of saying it is Joshua's life is preparation for consecration. And that's what we need to think in terms of. Um, and this is, this is really profound, okay? Uh, we, we like to think in terms of that there are, there are disciplines people and there are spirit people, right? And if you're sitting there going like, yeah, I think, you know, I'm really in a groove. I've got my, got my habits going. I've got my... My daily routine going. I got all the rhythms going. And you're sitting there kind of saying, yeah, yeah, we're good here. Then probably what you need to do is spend a lot more time praying for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And for the consecration to the work. And if you're a pretty spiritual person, you go and you really hear God and and you do that. Probably what you need to do. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's consecration. It's the anointing. It's, it's the Holy Ghost, right? If that's, what, if that's what you're like, then probably what you need to do is pray about what are the areas of life that you need to work at preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit, okay? And I, I really believe this, that we, we are a church that, that we pray for revival. We want to see this city turn upside down. We want to see mighty moves of God. Right? All the stuff that Charismatics and Pentecostals really long for, so do I. 
And so I want to give myself to the thousands of reps that are necessary, the long slog of character building that are necessary to sustain a move of the Holy Spirit. I want to be prepared for the consecration of the Holy Spirit. And I never want to stop longing for the Holy Spirit and understanding that that's the only thing that causes anything of value to happen in the earth, right? No move of the church is an actual move of the church if it's not the the Holy Spirit of God, okay? So it's preparation for consecration. And this is why I think even more that there are genuine moves of God, but they just, they fall on ill-prepared people and they just, they peter out or they get weird and crazy, okay? We need to prepare ourselves, spend a lot of time and a lot of reps just putting in the work as we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and wait for revival to come. Um, Amen? So those two things, preparation and consecration, I think are profound. You see them at work in in Joshua's life. You see them at work in in Jesus' ministry with his disciples, right? Jesus himself had to take about three years to prepare the 12 guys he was walking with so that he could pour the Holy Spirit out on, right? But there was preparation, and they, they were in the trenches a lot. Right? And they were learning how to pray. They were learning how to really read scripture. They were learning how to uh, do miracles. They were learning what God's heart really was. They were being, you know, corrected by Jesus. All of that was preparing them so that Jesus said, now I can go away and send the Holy Spirit. And now my life can be spread abroad. Amen? So this is a pattern that God does. We are prepared. We are brought to the end of ourselves. We are set in a way. And as we give ourselves the little steps on that way, we are building decades worth of character that God can then come and and fill with the Holy Spirit uh, to do his work. Amen? Amen. So the, the, the response is, don't do anything drastically. Identify little things that you need to begin to do now so that in 10 years you'll be ready. For God to say, all right, now go. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? All right. Um, Let's pray. And then if anyone has any thoughts or any uh, kind of particular uh, to you ideas about this, um, I'd like to hear those. Father, thank you for uh, thank you for the way that you prepare us, that you work with us and Jesus, that you call us to. Uh, come after you and, and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you and, and devote ourselves to be your students, your disciples, and learn from you. And Lord, I thank you that in all of that learning and in the day in and day out uh, habits of seeking you and reading your word and fellowshipping with believers and growing step by step, Lord, that you are longing to pour out your Holy Spirit in mighty ways on your church and the earth, on your people in the earth, so that they can uh, take the power of the Holy Spirit and, and possess the land that you've called us to, to possess. So Lord, I pray that you'd make us a church who understands preparation, understands the dynamics and the disciplines of long years of service, long years of faithfulness, long years of waiting, 
uh, always, Lord, waiting, uh, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time we could be exalted. At the proper time we could be released into what you've called us to be and do. Uh, So, Lord, make us that people. Make us true Joshua's, uh, faithfully serving uh, your purposes and and boldly, strongly, and with courage uh, being commissioned to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.